over and over again the reassurance that if we trust in you, that we are secure, secure in you. And um, Lord, as we, we kind of browse through this passage, um, help us to keep all things within context and also help us to apply it. Help us to be firmly established in the reality that we can trust in you and be free in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we took a, a week off last Sunday. We were going through some big scandalous things or controversies that Jesus himself often, um, well, he often came in before people and the religious leaders and challenged them, causing controversy and scandal. And so we looked at how, you know, recently, politically at least, you, you would put that last word would be, or the end of the word would be gate. So that's a, a scandalous, major bad thing that took place since Watergate took place. We often say something gate, you know, other than that. There's been a lot of things. And, and so when we look at it, just kind of going through, we're, we're looking at all these scandals, or not necessarily scandals as much as, as the religious leaders wanted it to be. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. But they, these were controversies. And many of them, again, Jesus himself, he went and initiated, initiated those uh, debates, those controversies. Last week we looked in chapter 7 and he, did, he tried to avoid it. He didn't, it wasn't the right time. But they followed him and, and a lot of controversies con- continued to take place. And so these controversies continued on. So we're coming back to the gate title. We're coming back to look at um, this. And we're going to look at grace. And I I think this chapter is really about the grace that we receive in Jesus Christ and Jesus continuing to point them to himself. And so we're coming back to that. And we're going to call it Grace Gate today. Throughout John, we find that the religious leaders sought to cancel Jesus. And now they didn't have social media, but they, they threatened him with his life. And Jesus ended up being over in Galilee. And we saw last week he had come back. And Jesus continued to draw in crowds, even though they, they wanted to get rid of him and, and try to push him out. Uh, here after the Feast of Tabernacles, where they celebrated by lighting the huge candelabra in the temple at night, This reminded people how God led them in the wilderness as a pillar of fire by night. And I think it's important as we go through these many chapters here in the beginning of John to see the correlation that Jesus had with many of those celebrations and about how Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the light. He is the light. And so he mentioned how they were to look and live in John 3. Remember John 3? He said, look and live just as, as a serpent was lifted up, so will the Son of Man be. And this is a point, an allusion back to when they were wandering in the desert and they had, had sin and they were getting bitten by the serpents and then God told Moses to put the serpent up on a pole and any who would look, who would have faith and look, would live, would be healed. 
And then in John 6, the manna. Jesus is a manna from heaven. He is the bread of life. In John 7, um, the water from the rock is, is a picture there. And the pillar of fire by night in John chapter 8. And so when we come to this passage and we look at all of this, Jesus continues to remind them, you're going to die in your sins unless you turn to me and receive the grace that only the Father gives through me. And it reminds me of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we, we learn that it's not anything that we can do that we're saved, but by faith in Christ. And so let the believer in Jesus freely follow Jesus, or, or we could say it this way, humbly follow Jesus every moment or every minute while walking in His free grace. And if we walk humbly, then we will not forget that it's not by our work. It is free to us. And hopefully we all understand what grace is, right? Kids, do you know what grace is? Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. And so I know one Sunday school teacher's talked about uh, trying to teach the kids how, thankfully, we don't get what we deserve, right? So grace is also not getting what we do deserve. But as well, in the, you know, alternatively, we look how we are given what we don't deserve from God. God's undeserved love and God's undeserved forgiveness in Jesus. And so there are two biblical truths we will focus on today as we only have time to highlight these, even though there are a lot of other lessons There are a lot of other applications here in this chapter. I love towards the end of the chapter, and I'm not even going to get there. Maybe we'll come back next week, but the reality that Jesus says, I am God. I'm equal with the Father. But here we're going to highlight two wonderful truths for us, wonderful remembrances for us of God's great love. And the first truth is, grace is needed for the condemned. Grace is needed for the condemned. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I believe the Word of God is inspired in its original manuscripts, but there's some controversy oftentimes because in some of those older manuscripts, sometimes things move around or they're not there. I do believe that as many of the great theologians believe that verses 1 through 11 are indeed uh, proper to be here in this in our Bibles. And even though at times in those early manuscripts it was in alternate positions, we see that, yes, this is a great spot for it, and it is the right place for it, as I'll mention here in just a little bit later. But let's look at this trap. We find a trap that the hypocrites tried to set up for the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and so we're, we're on the heels here from chapter, verse, chapter 7, And in verse 2, it goes on, Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people who were coming to him 
and he sat down and began to teach. Now, later on in this passage, uh, we see it's by the treasury. He's, he's teaching by the treasury. He, he's in the court where the common people can come. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, in verse 3, brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped and with his fingers wrote in the ground. And some say, well, is this an illusion uh, when God the Father wrote the Ten Commandments in stone? But he wrote in the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone in the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. The only one really just in in judgment here is the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we look at this passage, I want you to notice here, as well as, as we follow through the rest of the chapter, the reality they're looking for more than one witness. They say, oh, you can't testify about yourself. And Jesus says, the Father testifies of me, and I testify of myself. That's two witnesses. That's what you need according to your law, and you will not believe. And here we find, though, that they believe that they have the witnesses, and they come and bring this woman, and they set this trap up for Jesus, and yet they themselves were breaking the law. Is it only the woman that was to be brought and stoned according to the law? No, it was both. Another question is, how did they know? They were involved in the plot, many would suggest. And so it wasn't just that they're sinners, but they were sinning and doing this. That they were sinning and trying to set a trap up for Jesus. Because they were doing something causing this woman to sin, and someone was involved in sinning, and so they were pushing them or encouraged them to sin. But Jesus diffused the trap that they set by asking a simple question. And so even if I'm wrong in what I just said, Why was it so condemning? Even if they had followed the law, even if they were engaged in getting uh, this woman into trouble in the first place, even if these, you know, were wrong, why did they feel this heavy hand of conviction? I think they were standing before Jesus and they realized how or how great he was. And when we see the greatness of our God, those sins that we can excuse, those sins in our lives that don't seem so bad, when we see the holiness of God, we realize the severity of even the weakest and smallest sin that we have in our lives. 
Jesus does not permit the sin, though. Notice this. What does he say in verse 11? He says, go and sin no more. He does not condemn. But remember John 3.17? Let's turn back there. John 3.17. John 3.17 says in verse 16, we all know that, right? You've memorized John 3.16. John 3.17 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is a judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God and I find it so interesting here as we go into verse 12 that Jesus proclaims I am the light of the world right I in verse 12 Jesus again spoke to them saying I am the light of the world he who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life And so while the greatest condemnation is that they did not believe in Jesus Christ, they were trying to set a trap, yeah, they were doing this, they were doing that, but they would not believe. And as you go throughout this whole passage, throughout the Gospel of John, you see their extreme hardness of heart and unwillingness to turn to Jesus Christ and believe in Him. But we we see here that Jesus does not condemn because those who do not believe in Him are already condemned in their sin. And we'll talk about that here in just one moment. But first, again, look, notice verse 12. Jesus is the light. Why won't they come to Him? The light exposes the wretchedness of their sin. When they came before Jesus, I believe there's a strong conviction that they were sinners. They needed salvation, but they were unwilling to turn to Him. Let's go back to this passage in verse 15. And I just want to challenge you to understand that this, this is a real indictment against them is that they will not believe in Him. Look at verse 15. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it. But I and the Father who sent me, even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who has sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father as well. What a harsh indictment. These are proud people, religious people, who knew the Old Testament inside and out. And he tells them, you do not know my father. You do not know the God of the Bible. They they understood what he's saying. It stings. It stings them real hard. Painfully. I don't know. That was the wrong word. Anyway. <laughs> but they could not inherit. They, could not, they cannot inherit 
eternal life just because they were born into a Jewish family. It doesn't occur by physical birth. Salvation doesn't occur by physical birth. And so he gets into this argument, this discussion here, that they need to turn to him. You'll notice as, as it goes on that, that they begin to speak about you know, where he comes from and they know where they're from. And towards the end of the chapter, there's a stinging, stinging indictment. Look at 39. Jesus says to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. I heard from God this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Okay? No, we're not. We're children of Abraham, right? They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father. What does it say? All right. Jesus doesn't mince words, does he? You are of your father, the devil. Now, so there's words being thrown back and forth. They're saying, oh, you have a demon. (laughs) He says, "Ah, you're of your father. Oh, no, yeah, we have Father Abraham. Jesus says, well, I have a closer relationship to the father than Abraham had. Because I am the son. And you are not children of Abraham. Your father is the devil. Why? Because they would not believe. That's a stinging indictment, isn't it? They must believe in Jesus. The only way to receive salvation through, through grace is by faith in the Lord Jesus. We must believe in Him. Grace, though, came at a cost, and I think this is important for us. It's free to us, but go back to verse 28. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, Jesus knew what they were going to do. They had been seeking to kill him. They were going to get it done eventually. And Jesus says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Jesus is doing the will of the Father. And there's so much more in here, but I just want you to, to understand. Uh, you know, John 3.14, I alluded to it a little bit earlier about Jesus pointing to the fact of the serpent being lifted up. So must the Son of Man be. Jesus knows what he has come to do. And we could go to John 19. Now, so I, I put some notes in there. And I think it's important for us as we draw closer to Easter that maybe as families or individuals that we take time and, and think through the week, about what's going, what we're celebrating, what Jesus gave up, and what are we willing to give up for our Savior? What are we willing to do for our Savior? But in those passages, they kind of reinforce what we're studying 
as we go through John, and they also hopefully will prepare our hearts and our minds as we can continue to celebrate every Sunday the Lord's Day and every year what we call Easter, but the Lord's Day when He was raised again, as well as Good Friday when He paid that price. And look at John 19. John 19, verses 17 through 19. So in, I was going to say, in those notes, I was wrong. I put 17. Chapter 17 is a high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, okay? Chapter 19 is what I meant to put in the notes. Verse 17 through 19 and 17, it says, They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side and and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. We know there's more there. But Jesus knew what he had to do, and he was going to obey the Father. How willing are we to obey our crucified and risen Savior? Uh, it's not easy. Grace is free to us, but it came at a price for our Savior. Jesus paid that price. And oftentimes I don't think I, I fully grasp that. You know, I'm going through the day, I know it, but do I really let it sink in? Am I w- really willing to, to struggle through and say no to sin and yes to Jesus, say no to what I want and yes to what Jesus has called me to do, called all of us to do? Uh, I included in the bulletin and, and I believe in the notes, Martin Luther said, those who seek to earn the grace of God by their own efforts are trying to please God with their sins. We cannot please Him. We must receive grace by faith. And once we've received grace by faith, we can walk in the good works that He's prepared beforehand for us to do. But grace is needed for the condemned. Humbly follow Jesus every moment, every minute, while walking in His free grace, knowing that you're not earning salvation, not becoming proud because of what you're doing when you say yes to Jesus and no to sin or no to self. Don't become proud. Walk humbly with Him. The second biblical truth is grace is only received through faith in Jesus. Yes, we've talked about that again and again, but look at verse 24. 24, key verse, as I was studying this passage, the verse I kept coming back to, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in sins. Your sins. And this brings up a couple of wonderful truths. Scary baby, especially if you don't know Christ as your Savior. The truth is not a friend to sin. What does that mean? Well, here in this passage, Jesus is confronting them with the truth of who he is, and they continue to reject him. In verse 30 and 32, those who believe will, will obey and walk in the truth. Look at this. It says in verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. 
So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, or believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth is, we must believe in Christ Jesus and accept all that he has taught. Believe in him and follow and obey him. And if we follow him, and that goes, I, you know, it's not just verse 32, but all the way to 34. But true freedom and true liberty comes in believing the truth about Jesus and obeying and following the word of God. And we look out in this world today, and, and, and we need to be reminded, or I need to be reminded, there's days I'm like, wow, things are going well, God is working powerfully, and people are turning to Christ. And then there's other days I see this or that, and I'm thinking, what in the world are these people doing? What are they thinking? Satan's at work blinding the minds of the unbelieving, which they're already blind to the truth. Praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit's at work as well, right? To convict the world of sin. Don't be discouraged. Maybe it's family, neighbors, or just the nation or the world that you're looking at that can discourage you. Know that God still is at work. Don't be surprised when people do not turn to Christ. But the truth and the light of the gospel is for those who who live in their pride, those who do not want to get rid of or accept the reality of their sin, they will not turn to Him. They will run from the light. They will run from the truth. And therefore, the truth is no friend to sin. And liberty is no friend to sin. Look at verse 34 through 38. Truly, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of what? Sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. And here we're going back. So I'm jumping around, okay? We're going back to this whole exchange of, oh yeah, Abraham's our father. No, he's not. And then here we come here and we look at this passage and he's talking about freedom. How does that all play together in this passage? Okay, so we have um, their celebration, right? Where they bring the candle abra into the the temple at this time. and, And they're celebrating having been brought out of Egypt where they were enslaved. And they're saying, hey, wait, we've been free for a long time. God freed us from Egypt so many years ago, we followed the Lord God through the wilderness, the cloud of fire by day, the pillar of fire, the cloud of smoke by day, pillar of fire by night. Thus the light is a part of it. And then also, they're free. <laughs> no, we're free. We're descendants of Abraham. No, you're not. You have not believed in the word of God. You are Slaves to sin. 
And so it's a fascinating exchange here. So that's why it gets into, oh, we're descendants of Abraham. And, well, actually, your, your father is the devil. But for us, it's important for us to understand that, you know, sometimes we think our, our culture has fought for freedom from moral judgment because that seems to them to enslave them. In reality, immorality enslaves. So Jesus has declared to them that they not only should be physical Jews, but spiritual Jews. They must believe in Him and be set free spiritually from sin and death. Uh, Liberty. I looked into a couple of old dictionaries and Looked into Dandy's old 1988 dictionary. Oh, sorry, kind of dating Dandy there a little bit. But anyway, um, the 1988 Webster Illustrated Contemporary Dictionary says, and I actually like this better than my 1943 Webster Dictionary, it says, the state of being free in action for the word liberty, the state of being free in action or thought, from the domination of others or from restricting circumstances, freedom. Who doesn't like freedom? And yet, even in our own minds, we think, oh, what restricts me is following Christ. No, what restricts us is when we follow our own sinful desires. Finally, death is a friend to sin. Death is a friend to sin. Verse 21, we've read these verses. Verse 24 is really one of those verses that really stuck out at me, as well as 43 and verse 21 here says, Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me. You will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. When Adam and Eve sinned, death began. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so the greatest indictment is to reject the Prince of Peace. You've got that, right? And we all know that. Hey, we're in church here today. We realize that. We love Jesus. We believe in Jesus. He's my friend. But don't let Satan trick you into thinking that the world's way or the desires of your flesh is a better way. It leads to death. And we have a world out here that needs Christ. We must be about the Father's business by by living out the gospel in our lives, saying no to sin, no to self at times, even when it doesn't necessarily mean sin or lead to sin, and say yes to Christ so that they see Christ in us. And we must proclaim the reality of who Jesus is and, and help people to see their need for Him and come be freed from sin. Jesus conquered death in the grave. I love 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty through 58 But in verse 54 through 57 it says, But when they, this perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal will have put on immortality... Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Victory in Jesus. When we speak of liberty, I always think of Patrick Henry in 1775 saying, give me liberty or give me death. Right? The problem is, a lot of times we think freedom or liberty is is that which we want to do and it actually leads to death. When I was in Dunning, uh, we did a joint youth group together and the other church had property right along the river. Have I ever told you this? Right along the, the middle loop. It was a wonderful place to go have a little campfire, youth group, and go swimming. And I thought, you know, hey, this would be awesome if we used one of those trees, which was actually on the neighbor's, or put a pole up and, and you know, put a rope on there and we could swing out there and, and uh, fall in the water, you know. Well, I talked to the insurance agent. He just kind of crushed that. No, you better not do that. It's too dangerous, right? And I think oftentimes um, we think that which is fun, you know, is more important than the dangers we may face. I think sometimes we need to just take the risk and swing. Right? No? How does that get into the sermon? I don't know. Anyway. Whether it was good or bad, and we, whether we should li- listen to insurance agents or not, you know, a lot of times we think, you know, something's better. Something's more enjoyable. This is real liberty. This is real freedom. And if it's not what Christ has called us to do, if it's not what Jesus has said in His Word, if it pulls us away from a relationship with Christ, it really is dangerous. And our world oftentimes says the opposite of what the insurance agent told me. Oh yeah, do it. It's good. It's safe. You're okay. True freedom. Remember, true true freedom. Freedom from sin and 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 to have life in Christ is is liberty. So the question is, again, and we ask this every Sunday, do we truly believe in Christ? What is your relationship with Christ like? You know, if we're walking with Him daily, it is so much easier to say yes to Him and no to sin or no to self. Are you spending time with Christ? Second, um, when you are doing well, don't become proud. Because when you do, that's when sin will knock you over. So humbly follow Jesus every minute while walking in His free grace. His grace is free. We did not deserve it. Even if we're walking with Him, walking in the Spirit every day, do not fool yourself in thinking, I myself have accomplished so much. Because that's when we fall. And if you say, oh, well, that's sure not me, Pastor Lee. It seems like I fail all the time. Well, what is grace? It's what we don't deserve. And so just understand, Jesus loves you. 
turn to him and begin to, to spend time in his words, spend time with him, and he will encourage and guide and direct and help you through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could come and worship you today. Thank you that, that uh, you have promised us eternal life through Christ, your Son, our risen Savior, and that you have guaranteed that we have a future that, that is far much greater, more wonderful than what we could have here on this earth. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us this week, help us. Those of us who have stumbled and fallen, help us up. Guide us. Help us. We know you're guiding us, Lord, but help us to see how you're guiding us. And Lord, those of us who have been doing pretty pretty good, help us to humbly walk with you daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning we're going we're to take up offering for our missionaries. Could I have a couple young men come forward?